Hello and welcome to 20 Tim Minutes, a podcast that focuses on mental health in a serious but yet humorous way. Listen as I interview a wide variety of guests where we show our support as well as sharing our own personal struggles and stories with mental health. I am your host, Tim McCarthy, and now it's time to talk about it. Hey, what's going on, everybody? You're tuning into another episode of 20 Tim Minutes. I am your host, Tim McCarthy. Today, we have on actress, singer, dancer, and mental health advocate who has appeared in numerous projects, such as being on the Disney Channel, the Step Up franchise, and Cheaper by the Dozen movies. You may also remember her as a backup dancer for numerous music videos, more famously for her appearance in the Missy Elliott videos, my personal favorite. Allison Stoner, how are you? Hey, how's it going? It's going great. Yeah, no problem. Thank thank you for coming on. This means a lot. This is going to be a lot of fun. I'm very much looking forward to whatever we're about to uncover together. (laughs) Fantastic. I asked all my guests this question first. What does mental health mean to you? Hmm. Okay. I appreciate that you you ask it in a way that we know it's personalized because obviously our working definitions will be different. Um, you know, I would say the first thing that comes to mind is the the wheel of well-being. And it's the different aspects of well-being that are mental, emotional, physical, environmental, financial, spiritual, social. And so I see mental health as an important dimension of the greater whole. Um, But what I don't want to do is isolate it and think that it's the only important thing or that it needs to be disproportionately, you know, favored or neglected. So I think I I, when I think of mental health, I think about it being um, an undeniably important aspect of a greater whole of well-being. That's a great answer. What is your relationship with mental health? Well. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm like loaded questions right off the jump. Then we're going to deep dive into uh, more questions. My relationship with mental health likely reflects my relationship with human beings, which is uh, sometimes avoidant dismissive attachment style. Uh, so I'm probably, I, I can easily be a bit neglectful um, if I don't establish certain structures and routines. Um, so that's been in the last couple of years. I've actually, you know, I, it's not like I, follow a routine every single day. Right. But I at least have some go-to tools and strategies that help with just well-being maintenance um and mental hygiene I suppose is a term that people use. Um because yeah, otherwise my mind is not bathing for a long long time. So I have to like schedule this in uh to remember. You know, and I think that reflects my early upbringing like my focus was so work oriented that i wasn't really considering what my mind or body needed at any given time for well-being sake it was just what do i need to do to accomplish said task um so yeah i have to be a bit more thoughtful and intentional about my relationship with mental health you would die i think i'm becoming a better partner i am becoming a better partner how so because I am showing up more and I am listening with curiosity and compassion and I am learning new strategies to communicate with my mind and parts of myself um, with, you know, a little bit more honesty and love. Um, and I think overall, it's like, I feel a bit more resilient. Like, I just feel like I can manage what life brings. Life certainly hasn't gotten easier 
but I am feeling amidst the thick thickness of life um, that I can, I will find a way somehow. That's good. I'm glad. <laughs> so you were diagnosed with general anxiety disorder, OCD tendencies, and alexithymia. I want to touch on each a little bit, but can you explain to listeners what that may be, the alexithymia? Yeah. So this is, you know, my definition. I'm sure I'm paraphrasing the clinical uh, expertise version. Um, so alexithymia is it's it's when a person has difficulty identifying and expressing emotions. Um, for me, I I literally could be in a situation where you would visibly be able to notice that I'm experiencing, let's say, grief or I'm experiencing happiness and joy, but I myself wouldn't be able to sense that experience in my body, let alone find words to describe it. And so when I started going to therapy, you know, a, a classic question is, well, how did that make you feel, you know, right. or how did you feel when that happened? And my therapist quickly could see this person is pretty numb in their own body. And we're going to have to use some somatic tools to help this person, you know, thaw from a state of frozenness and to become aware, um, you know, bit by bit about what they're actually experiencing. So I think that was always kind of ironic because I'm an actor and I'm portraying these emotional scenes. Yeah. Yet I myself am pretty severely disconnected. And you know, alexithymia looks different for everyone, but that's how it how it showed up for me. It was it, it impaired my ability to process emotional experiences. I think that's what probably makes you a good actress, right? Maybe that just I shows it. Your reframe. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I will find something beautiful in that. <laughs> yeah, there's always there's always something. There's a silver lining in everything. Yeah, I I support that. And not to not to balance that out, but I will say as I'm getting older and more honest with myself, I have to remember that even in the most joyful moments, there usually are some some sad pieces or there's just complexity and layers. So I'm yeah. I'm learning to embrace the wholeness and fullness of life in all moments. That's great. So growing up in the uh, entertainment industry, fans only see the outside, but what is it really like for someone who started off at such a young age? Another loaded question. Yeah, just <laughs> throwing them my way. Appreciate yep. it. Um, hmm. So this is, this is something I will continue to have to explore uh, because I think as, as young people, we inherit stories of ourselves um, from the folks around us. Could be parents and caregivers, could be society. And so if my story growing up was you, meaning Allison, love to dance, sing, and act, and it's your choice to be doing this, and you can quit any time, but we know that you're thriving in it, so you should keep going. Yeah. That's the story I have adopted and, and lived out as if it were true undeniably. In reality, for a young person to make that kind of life-changing de decision, it's psychologically impossible at that stage of development to know what you're really getting into. 
and how the industry experience is going to affect your social life, is going to affect your emotional and psychological and physical development. So as I look back and I think, what is it like for a young person to get into the industry? Yeah. Questions of agency and um, choice, you know, come up for me. And I'm still unpacking that. Now, the superficial answer is, it was really fun. Right. Um, but the, the fuller answer is, it's really complicated. Yeah. And, and there are a lot of deep questions I think we need to ask, uh, ask ourselves about the industry. Mm -hmm. And um, from an audience standpoint, like, let's think about the impact that, um, that this is having on your development when you consume media that portrays these kinds of situations and scenarios with young people. Was there like a moment, like obviously you were super excited, like, oh, I'm being an actress, like I'm all these different things. Was there like anything that you were like, this is getting kind of crazy? <laughs> <laughs> well, so to reiterate, or maybe this was from my earlier session, now they're blending together. <laughs> um, so as a young person, I only have the first map of reality, right? Yep. I don't have something to compare and contrast to. So if someone says, you know, were you starting to think, wow, this is really intense. Intensity was just what was considered normal for me. It wasn't until I stepped away from the industry that I found myself going, wow, this is quote unquote normal life. This is quote unquote, you know, mundane living. And it felt like Where's the chaos? This, there's not enough, there, there aren't enough highs and lows happening. What am I going to do here? It was uncomfortable, right? It felt boring. It felt, I was uneasy. So I think I just adapted to an environment of extremes. And um, that did take a toll on me, especially physically, right? So that's when I, I started finding myself with uh, behaviors that were disordered around eating um, and and that turned into, you know, full-fledged multiple eating disorders that lasted for years. And I'm not sure they would have developed or been reinforced had I not been in an industry that, you know, has certain conditions that uh, can contribute to forming in, you know, a difficult relationship to your body and uh, self-care. Now I read too. This this is kind of why you checked yourself in rehab. Was you auditioned for the Hunger Games, and you were pretty emancipated because of that? Um, so I emancipated, yes, and emaciated, yes. Um, I I know. Did I use the right word there? Well, uh, my understanding is that emancipated refers to something that I I did experience, which is not being um under the the legal protection and guidance of your caregivers anymore. Um, right. People in the industry do that so you can work longer hours because they can treat you like an adult. Uh, whether or not that's uh, smart is a different question. Right. Um, but emaciated, uh, you know, refers to being unhealthfully um, famished uh, and, and underfed and undernourished. And so you know, it's it's a common story when people talk to actors or ask actors about what was it like playing that role and you had to do X, Y, and Z. Wow, you were training for 12 hours a day? You only ate broccoli? You know, and there's this like 
it's glamorized and it's viewed as this like, wow, you're so committed. And in reality, it's taking a toll on your health and well-being. Right. And um, unfortunately, the more competitive jobs are, the more you find yourself making sacrifices to do whatever it takes to get that job. So with Hunger Games, the character was described as emaciated. So I started training and losing weight, thinking, you know, I can keep this under control. Um, I had already recognized I had some disordered behaviors with eating and exercise, but I felt like, okay, I, I can handle this. And after the, you know, after I either do or don't get the role, I'll be able to recalibrate. Well, the reality is it got way too deep into my psyche, way too deep into my nervous system and, and physicality. And I recognize like, I really need to uh, seek professional help here because I can't get out of these habits on my own. Right. They're starting to control my life. Um, so yeah, that's when I went into rehab. And ironically, oh my God, I don't think I've said this part of the story, but they were still auditioning for Hunger Games when I'm in rehab. And my managers have the audacity to send me an audition for a different role in Hunger Games. They're like, by the way, we know you didn't get Katniss because, you know, someone on the, the offer list accepted the role directly. Do you want to go out for this other part? <laughs> I'm like, I'm on bed rest right now, BRB. <laughs> Do you still have those managers? No, I don't. All right. I was about to say, I was like, whoa, that'd be bad. Man, and they're like, you know, genuine, nice, decently kind folks, right? They're just like doing the thing that the industry does, yeah. which is stop your life at all costs and get to that audition. I was like, I can't make it this time. So sorry. Yeah. Currently have an IV in my body. Probably it's not what they're looking for. <laughs> How does one start to get over an eating disorder? Because I know it's not your typical response. People give they're like, oh, just have a cheeseburger. You're like, no, that's mm -hmm. how much work goes into that. And what would you tell somebody that doesn't know about the battle that they can learn? Sure. Well, you know, I can speak from my own experience only. Yep. Um, and I, I think it's important to recognize that uh, food for someone who is finding themselves with food related behaviors that feel maybe imbalanced or more obsessive food is usually not just um, food doesn't just function as fuel it takes on symbolism it takes on additional meaning um, and so if someone just tells you to eat the food what what I would hear in that is eat this food, which means um, lose your thinness, which means you might not get hired for any roles anymore. So basically eat this food and lose your livelihood. Mm. Eat this food and let's say, you know, there's a fear of rejection because someone made comments about your body. Then that statement feels like eat this food and lose your ability to have people love you and to view you as worthy, right? So there's just much deeper associations and attachments um, that come forward through these behaviors. So I would say if someone is experiencing a fixation 
on food. Um, maybe they find themselves, you know, counting calories or starting to see foods as yes foods and no foods um, that aren't medically supervised reasons. Yeah. Um, I would say, you know, first, um, get, get curious about your life as a whole and maybe why, what might be inspiring a fixation on something. Um, and second, you know, I would say, of course, speak to a professional. Um, and if that doesn't feel right, or you're not sure where you, you are in your journey, just start to look at recovery resources. Because along the way, as you look at these resources that talk about recovery, you start to see the mindset, the mentality, the attitude of what a, a healthier relationship with food would look like. Um, and so then you can start to understand where am I on this spectrum? You know, am I having a couple food related thoughts or is this pretty severe? And if it feels like, you know, something that, I, you know, this is, this is not medical advice, yep. um, but something to potentially consider in your exploration is give yourself a, a time frame, um, to explore the symptoms and experiences from a recovery standpoint. And if you're finding that after that time frame, maybe it's a month, you know, depending on your starting point, right? And, and your condition, maybe it's a month of exploring. If you're finding like you can't seem to get out of some of these traps, you can't seem to adjust these behaviors, it seems to just be running your life. I would strongly suggest um, seeking professional help. It is totally okay and normal to do that. Yeah. In fact, like the way I come to understand things now is if you have that kind of behavior happening, that's simply a major clue that something in your life needs attention. And you get to explore that with a professional who knows how to help you sort through it. Like, count me in. Yeah, because you'll discover insights about yourself that you know last a lifetime in terms of how you navigate life moving forward. Do people in the industry like make comments about your weight, like "oh, you're too big for this role"? Like you should probably like. How do they go about that? Because I know that's like a a crappy way of being like, "oh, you might be too thin" or "it might be too big for this role." Did you ever get comments like that? Oh, of course, all the time, all the time, and it's directly and indirectly. So you'll get a character breakdown that tells you about the role you're auditioning for, and it'll describe your body type. And so I remember getting an audition for a movie called Dumb, Ugly, Fat Friend, and I was going out for the Dumb, Ugly, Fat Friend. And to be a young person reading that description and thinking, huh, not only did my agent send me out for this role, but an entire company and network thinks I might fit this description of dumb, ugly, fat friend. Like, I, I, that's, of course, it's going to take a toll. And then you yeah. get into the wardrobe fittings and you see, like, oh, we couldn't find your size. You're too big. Or, or you didn't fill out this dress. You don't come across as, you know, enough of a vixen or bombshell in the way that we're wanting to portray. So, of course, you know, your body image is hyper skewed by unreasonable standards. But what's wild to think about is, this is, there are like two sides to this coin. Well, I'm sure there are a million, but two of the sides <laughs> to this coin are one, 
I'm trying to get hired to play this role. Therefore, I will probably comply with some of these standards. Like I'll do whatever it takes. Two, on the flip side, someone who's a young person who's watching this is now consuming media that I'm helping create that mm -hmm. perpetuates these standards. So it's kind of a mind game because you're like, dang, I'm wanting to be a positive role model. But in order for me to get the job, I'm having to uphold standards that are, you know, driving my wellness into the, the ground. Like, yeah. you know, there's just a lot here. I can only imagine what you go through being an actress. I mean, that's why I stepped aside. <laughs> yeah, not, not a bad move. Not a bad move. Yeah. For me, it was a fantastic decision. Yeah. So I know you your op-ed you wrote and um, you wrote the toddler to train wreck industrial complex. It's about the effects of child labor and how notorious effects it can have on those who go through it. You at the beginning of that, you wrote something that really like uh, I gave an eyebrow raise at the age of six years old. You you auditioned for this role where the girl got kidnapped and was sexually assaulted. Like what what was going through your head at that time and what do you think was going through the people's head that like want that scene to happen like i know like scenes have to happen in movies like that's what they do but like how was that as a six-year-old because like at six years old i didn't even know what sex was probably so to to go from one extreme to the other like how did that feel yeah i mean i want to first ask you the question what do you think was going through people's minds when they wrote the project and had young people come in and audition. I think it's like kind of like a like a secret sadistic life mm -hmm. where they want to like see that. And mm -hmm. it's it's like mentally, it's just mentally fucked up, I think, mm -hmm. from both ends. And it's a different ends of the spectrum. Like we were talking about the spectrum earlier, is like you have this innocent six-year-old girl like going off like it just like shouldn't be a thing. Hey, I'm I'll get behind you on that one. <laughs> I don't think it should be a thing either. Um yeah. So this is complicated because yeah. of course in storytelling and art, you know, you want to protect the the free speech of it all in terms of like, hey, these things are really happening and if you want to portray them, you know, we can't pretend that these things are not happening. Yet how we go about portraying them I think could be improved drastically. For example, if you're going to have scenes where a young person is subjected to a violent or graphic act, um, then do you have to film them on camera experiencing it? Or could you, for example, um, film, film them in a solo shot where they're reacting to an event, but they don't actually have to witness the real thing that's going on. You could give them a different circumstance where it might still, you know, drum up some emotion for them, but it's less extreme. But going even further in there, what would be the ethical questions to ask around like, will that child later in their life be upset that they were in a project? that had all of this going on in it and they didn't even know that that's what they were reacting to in the story like yep. there are so many layers and questions and of course you think where are the parents the reality is a lot of parents are doing their absolute best to protect the child's well-being they love their children 
They're trying to provide opportunities that seem fun and interesting, and they may not know that that's going to happen in the audition room. There are many occasions where a parent can look at the breakdown and the scene and say, yeah, this, this doesn't have any of, any of that violence in it. So, it, you know, we're deciding as a family, this is okay to audition for. Well, you get into the audition room, you don't know what the casting director is going to ask the child to do. And I don't think casting directors have degrees in psychology. They're not therapists. They don't know, they don't know the lasting impact on a young person's development. So, you know, there are a lot of, I call them, you know, stops along the toddler to train wreck pipeline yeah. where I want to pause and take inventory and say, can we improve these conditions so that, you know, the child is in a relatively safer overall environment to start with. And also that the child learns things like, you know, the sense of agency where they could have, they could, they could know that they can speak up and say, Hey, I'm actually not okay with this and know that that's okay for them to use their voice. They're not going to be punished or fired. Like, right. you know, in reality, children are just like, you know, they're surrounded by adults. There's a power differential. And using your voice to speak up for something can be really intimidating. So, you know, we need to think like if a child's going to be on a set and expected to fulfill adult responsibilities and adult roles, then why are they not also afforded the same respect as the adults on set? Right. Like the child needs at least a voice and uh, you know, I could go on and on and on and on. So you you push for like having like a therapist like on set, like you, that's like the type of stuff that you you would like to see. That is one of a plethora of things. Yeah. If you didn't know, there are still seventeen states that have zero child labor laws. So we're really, not just talking entertainment industry. We're talking all kinds of child labor, and we know that child labor is happening in all fifty states. Yet 17 have zero protections. So definitely want to see that change. Yeah. Um, definitely want to talk about like, yeah, that's actually on my podcast that we're recording right now. We're unpacking, we're unpacking this beyond my personal experience all the way to a systemic level. So we can really see like what needs to change and what would actually have to happen in order for that change to be realized. Is there like an HR department on movies like where you can go or like no, right? I mean, I I know that they're technically the the studio teacher on set for the kids is also supposed to act as the welfare worker. However, studio teachers, if you've got like eight kids and some of them are working now and some of them are in school, like you can't play all of these different roles. Mind you, the set teacher also has to keep their job. So if they're saying, no, these kids need one more hour in school and the production company's like, are you kidding? We have a budget and a timeline. Like we got to get this thing shot. Yeah. They'll just fire that teacher and get the next one who allows them to do what they need to do. So there are, you know, supposedly practices in place, but like, no, mm -hmm. if standards and practices showed up to set S and P, they would probably be like, I mean, if they were really advocating for the child's well-being, 
they would make a laundry list of things that need to change. Yeah. Unfortunately, even standards and practices, there's corruption within that. You know, I was on a set where someone handed me a cigarette. My, I'm like the kid who only wants to be a good, good kid, only do the right thing. That was just my personality type. Yeah. And in the scene, they're like, yeah, we're just going to have you take a drag of the cigarette. I'm like probably nine or ten, eight. A real know. cigarette. Uh, in a real cigarette, an herbal cigarette, um, which they said was not as bad. So it's okay because it's not as bad. Um, and the only thing I know about smoking at that age is like, don't do it. Yeah. Smoking is bad. Don't do it. Well, now I'm on a set and they're going like, well, we need to roll. So come on, like, come on. It's time to, it's time, time to just do it. My mom is not in view. Like she can't see, she's, parents can't always see onto set exactly what's happening. Right. So, you know, and, and she also feels a little powerless, like, oh my God, what are they? You know, it's just a whole bunch of scenarios that happen on the fly so quickly um, that it, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to actually like control all the variables. Right. Well, another childhood actor, uh, actress, as uh, you've shown support for Jeanette McCurdy. Did you read her book? And what did you think about it? Um, I I love Jeanette. And we had the same managers. Actually, the manager who sent me out on the audition for Hunger Games while I was in treatment. Um, and I, I knew Jeanette's mom. And we, uh, Jeanette and I auditioned a lot together growing up. Um, so fully support her in her healing journey. I have not read her book. Um, mostly because I lived it. <laughs> yeah, right. So you know, so I, I would. I know many people who have read her book, and I I would be supportive in terms of like purchasing it to get the royalties for her. Yeah. Um, but I I was there when it happened. Um, so yeah, don't always need to go back and and rehash those those instances. Uh, but I I am in, I'm fully supportive of people who are coming forward when they're ready to share their experience. Um, I know that a lot of people are afraid to come forward and, and, you know, rightfully so. So I'm, I'm hoping that more people feel empowered to do so. Uh, Cause I think those personal anecdotes plus the like medical side of things, uh, the clinical perspective will help us actually um, translate this into something that's actionable. So it's not just another memoir, right? But it's like a memoir plus social change. So I know in your op-ed you wrote you didn't even touch on the sexual harassment, the stolen IP money, paparazzi. Um, this is like another thing. Like, when did you like? I know I said this earlier, but wh when did you realize like this is like a totally different ball game? I'm still realizing it. Yeah. <laughs> How was the paparazzi, by the way, for real? Oh, well, let me tell you a little insider scoop here. Yeah. A lot of times paparazzi is completely scheduled by the celebrity and their team. So, um, yeah, surprise. There are certain people with, you know, A-list status who truly cannot get anywhere yeah. without um, paparazzi. And it's it's unwelcomed. There are also events, right, special occasions where camera people know that celebrities will be and so they show up so i'm not i'm not saying it's always solicited but a lot of times um 
artists, public figures will stage uh, paparazzi photos around the time of, let's say, a release of a new project, um, or you know, wanting to drum up some attention around a romantic interest, or whatever. So there's a there's a blend here. Um, I <laughs> I didn't have to deal with as much paparazzi as my uh, peers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't envy them. I feel really bad that, you know, they couldn't just go to the airport. I remember the first time I got off of a plane and I grabbed my bag and I walked outside and I was alone, I believe. And, you know, there's a camera person there. And I, I felt so confused because I didn't tell anyone. Mm-hmm. And I wondered like, how did they figure it out? And I asked my team and they said, well, likely the people called and tipped someone off. Um, they probably saw that you were going to be in this um, town for this event. So they you know, looked at every single flight coming in from LA today and tipped off someone at the airline to know when you were arriving or they've been there all day waiting. Um, and I just, I, I had that moment of like, whoa, I didn't know I was being watched in this way. And of course, when you're approached by a camera person, like it's startling and your instinct is not to smile and be friendly. Your instinct is self-preservation. But if you, if you end up making a fuss over it, they'll record it and spin it as if you were a diva or someone who was, who was mean. And so there's like this whole layered experience going on where I'm like, wow, I feel really unsafe and violated yet. I have to answer this person's questions until I can get to a safer area because they might post this and say, you know, Allison was bad mouthing someone at the airport. Look clips here. Right. 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 So yeah, it's pretty twisted. Then you dealt with like clickbait articles. Like you saw like your face on a clickbait article. It's like, Uh, where are they now? Totally. Yeah, that's, that's tough. Um, it's tough. It's, I think growing up, you know, we, as we age and mature and we explore who we are, we hope that we won't be held to our fourth grade selves forever. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, we want to be taken seriously for the growth that we, the progress that we've made, the development that we've experienced. And so when I see my face on articles that refer to me only as my 12-year-old self, um, not to mention they just you know lie about what, what really happened, um, it feels so belittling. It feels so dehumanizing because I've, I've you know, gone on to live a full life um, with lots of different experiences outside of the industry, and yet I'm relegated to this you know, this term, former child actor. Right. So my hope is that there will come a time when people are um, okay with that being the entry point saying, hey, you may remember her from, that's fine. That's the way we make initial connection. Mm -hmm. But now what? Because I've grown up and so have you. So tell me, you know, tell me who were you in fourth grade? Awesome. Now who are you? And let's give each other permission to be you know, full grown human beings. The industry just seems screwed up overall. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> kudos to you to, to fighting it and 
putting your story out. So that like you should be proud of yourself where you are right now. Thanks. I suppose it's just um I just uh, I want I want us all to have the resources needed to feel better no matter what we're going through if it's inside the industry or or outside the industry. So you opened up about your sexuality in 2018. I always feel that's obviously not an easy thing to do. Was it hard at first, but how good did it feel to finally open up about yourself? Yeah, I mean, man, it was it was nerve-wracking to come forward publicly for sure cuz you just don't know how people will receive the information. Yeah. And you know you're going to get for if you have a million people following you, you're going to get a million different perceptions. Um so it's a lot to withstand. Um However, yes, there was a part of me that that felt liberated. Um, but I, when I when I initially chose it, it was mostly me trying to help my partner at the time, uh, who is a woman. I was I was hoping that it would help her feel more comfortable that I was not ashamed. Um, and you know that relationship had its own course. Um, but I, I think, yeah around that era time frame it was just it was fear it was um yeah i was i was nervous uh but man it's the it's the best thing mm -hmm. that's ever happened to me um oh my gosh it's the best thing like i my life is so much better and healthier and and yeah it's I hope that if anyone is experiencing this and they're questioning or they're confused or they're exploring, I hope that they find uh, you know a support system, even if it's online or even yep. it's just reading resources, um, to know like it's it's okay to truly be yourself. You're deserving of love, respect, care, um, and yeah, always wishing everyone the best in, in that discovery. Everybody love everybody. And I know there's a lot of resources out there for that. Like I know like the Trevor Project's one of like the biggest ones. So yeah, if anyone out there is experiencing uh, any issues with that, definitely go and uh, check them out. Um, so you're the founder and CEO of Movement Genius. Can you tell us what that's about? Yes, I can. So Movement Genius is your all-in-one safe place to take care of your mind, body, and emotions. And we have a library of over 200 mental health tools, stress relief techniques, movement classes that are designed by psychotherapists and experts to improve your well-being anytime, anywhere. And I think one of the most important and beautiful aspects is that it's also a community of real people. So over the last year that we've been doing our live classes, in addition to the library, it's been profound to grow with real humans and to share like hey what were your experiences this week what tools helped you um and to learn new tools so you just feel equipped to manage yeah. whatever your day brings so we actually have a special discount code if you want to try uh movement genius we're giving you a month free and you can use the code 20 tim two zero t-i-m um and i'll also give you a link that you can put in the show notes i didn't know you were doing it for me that's a that's a great pro promo code you got there yeah it's for you it's all for you and your community fantastic i really appreciate it. you you caught me off guard with that that was great 
Oh yeah, we got to get you set up. For sure. Oh, yeah. yeah, Alex, you I know what? I'll check one out. I like moving around. Oh, nice. Yeah. And and the great thing is, um, it, it, I know it's in the title, Movement Genius, but not all tools um, require full body movement. There are tons of things you can do seated, lying down that are just stress relief techniques that help reduce anxiety. Um, and this goes far beyond just like mindfulness meditation, right? Yeah. So this is like, we need we need a more substantial toolkit to manage life. And um, we wanted to put that all into one place where people could access it whenever they need. What came first? Is it like the chicken or the egg? What, did you become an actress first or a dancer first? I started dancing first. Okay. And my, um, my dance instructor was uh, from, performed a lot on Broadway. So I think she kind of instilled in us the theatrical acting component within dance would you do it all over again everything oh oh man what you know now looking back would you would you put allison through that again oh i would not voluntarily subject a child to what i experienced Mm -hmm. however yeah if i could do it all over again i would I would hope that I don't I don't think I've ever said this before, which is kind of sad, but it's true at least where I am right now. If I could do it all over again, I would not. And instead, I would hopefully have more parts of myself nurtured as a child, not just one or two interests, because I imagine that the path I would have taken is actually probably more academic, research-oriented, um, you know, medical profession. Uh, so, but, you know, we're here now. So we embrace it and we make decisions um, the best we can with what we know. Long robo. Look where it brought you, though. Yeah. I mean, hey, I'm, I'm stable, relatively speaking, and that's like... <laughs> <laughs> I think that's like the biggest win at the yeah. moment. Yeah. What's one piece of advice you would give to the next Allison Stoner? Oh man. The... Ah! Wow. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> yeah. I feel like I hope you're in therapy. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Would it be a therapist? Would you would you recommend a therapist right off the jump? Um, would I would I recommend a therapist right off the jump getting into the industry? Yeah. Well, it depends on how how old you are and and like how equipped your family is to support yeah. you. You know, if your parents know a little about a lot of things, like you might be able to um, navigate something in a way that has less harm overall. But I'm not sure it's ever been a bad time to get into therapy. Yep, never. I think it's always it's always a pretty good time. <laughs> All right, let's end with some fun. I want to ask some questions about you. First off, I'm a practitioner as well. How's the Muay Thai coming along? Well, I have injured myself in ways that I didn't know were possible, uh, but I am thoroughly enjoying it. And it's very mild at the moment. Um, I'm trying not to activate too much of my competitive side because as yeah. you can see from the top of this, like it can go hard in the paint real quick. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Baby steps, baby Muay Thai. Getting kicked is not fun. 
It is not. Nope. Oh my gosh. Especially when it's repeatedly happening because yep. you're drilling and you're like, how many more minutes do I have to just take this thud on the side of my leg? And like, it makes you think, at least for me, I'm like, maybe I need a little more meat on my bones because a little cushion would yep. be helpful. Take that in. Like this. On a scale from one to 10, I'm a bald man. How much easier and awesome was it when you shaved your head? Oh, scale of one to 10, 10 being the best, 10. Yep. 11, 12. Yeah. Like Every day I think about shaving my head. Do it. Do it. <laughs> yeah. I, I probably will again. But right now, Good with look. my hair, I've, um, it's kind of like a, I know you weren't asking for this deeper meaning, but really quickly, my hair started falling out quite a bit when I was in my eating disorder. And so now that I am in a different position health-wise, I want to see if my hair will grow longer. Um, and I just kind of want that to be a little bit of like a living testimony of like, oh, you're not where you used to be. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. And if, it, and if it needs to get just removed totally, I'm, I'll shave my head again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, just a, just a few more right now. We'll finish up. What is your weirdest fan interaction? Because I love this. Because Oh, man. Wh what is the weirdest one? Because I, I always have to know. Oh, my gosh. Oh, was man. It, like at a meet and greet at the airport? What was it? I Growing up, I was on a, a rec basketball team, and we were at a, I was going to say, on tour. Ha, 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 ha wrong path uh we were in a tournament mm -hmm. and uh i went to use the restroom and there was a person from the team we were playing against who came into the restroom and opened the bathroom stall and insisted that i take a photo with them and i was like um can i finish my business please uh and we were young so, you know, there's some grace and forgiveness, but also like, please, if you see someone you recognize, do not, do not go into their bathroom stall and demand a photo at that time. At least wait yeah. until they come out of the bathroom. That's pretty shitty. Oh, then I'm... <laughs> what is your personal theme song? Allison Stoner gets called to a stadium. What's being played? Ah, uh, this takes me back again to basketball days. There's a track called Remember the Name by Fort Minor. It was like yeah. 10 look, concentrated power and will. Uh I feel like that song played before games and I I really took that on as as an anthem. Just pumping up. Yeah. He doesn't need his name up in lights. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's finish with this. What are three things that you're grateful for today? Oof. Uh, yeah. I am I'm grateful for a quiet home space after living in a noisy city for 20 years. Um, I am grateful for these mind-body tools that we can use to help ourselves regulate in stressful moments. Code 20 Tim. Yep. <laughs> and finally, I'm grateful for uh shedding the need for things to always be positive and joyful and just embracing you know the fuller picture of reality uh, and letting that be okay grateful for that what about you 
What are you grateful for today? Wow. Then no one's yeah. ever asked me that. I'm grateful yeah. for you coming on this show. And I'm not even just saying that because I was very excited that your people got back to me and you said you were down. And I was like, wow, she is yeah. phenomenal. Oh, cool. I am uh, I am grateful for my day off today because I work a lot and I'm very glad mm -hmm. I have a day off. And third, I'm, I'm grateful for my animals. I have two cats, two dogs. They're uh, Lucille, Leo, Fanny, and Charles. So I, lo I love them very much. <laughs> That's beautiful. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. I feel like you're interviewing me now. This is great. <laughs> hey, yeah. Beware because I've been in your seat before and yeah. at any time. Quick, what's the podcast name that you're coming out with again? It's like you're, you're bringing it back, right? What's it called? The So my former podcast was called Simplexity. The new podcast that's unpacking the pipeline and everything is tentatively titled Dear Hollywood. Mm, I like it. Allison Stoner, thank you so much for chatting with me today. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you. Likewise. Same time tomorrow? Same time tomorrow. <laughs> That's another episode of 2010 Minutes. Let's break the stigma by cracking a smile. I will see you guys soon. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. If you are feeling suicidal, please dial 911.